Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. We're your hosts, Monty Wyatt and Paul Sosinski. Wherever you are in life, there is a higher ceiling. This podcast is how you become aware of it and how to take action to push through it. I'm Monty Wyatt, best-selling author of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat and CEO of Adding Zeros Executive Development. I grew up on a family farm in Iowa and have gone from sowing corn to sowing seeds of success throughout the world, leading, managing, and training teams. With me is Paul Sosinski, entrepreneur and investor who also grew up on a family farm here in Iowa. We believe every organization and person can be intentional in how they lead, influence, and manage their lives and businesses. What's Your Ceiling is for professionals, managers, executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to achieve more in their health, family, and business by breaking through their ceiling. Every episode will give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can be more aware and take action to reach new heights. It's time to discover your ceiling. All right, Monty, we ready? Yeah, Matt. All right, we're looking for a great, great uh, interview with a mentor of mine and many people uh, in Iowa and probably around the United States. But you know, we start, we kicked this podcast off for one reason, and that was to figure out where everybody's ceiling is, whether it's your health, your family, or your uh, business. And you know, Monty, some of the things we talk about is, is, is taking ownership. And that's a question we've talked about. And, and I think that's part of uh, becoming a good business person, whether it be health, family, or business. And give, give me your thoughts on that. You know, it's uh, our, our topic is what's your ceiling? And we have to take ownership. But part of that ownership is what do we want to be known for? And what's the legacy we want to leave? And that's the power of what's your ceiling is we want to challenge people to see new heights. We all have something to break through. We all have something that we need to grow and learn. And we want to challenge the world today to think about your legacy. And to me, a legacy is how are you remembered? And a legacy is what are you leaving behind that your family will uh, think of you as or your communities think of you as? But you have to be intentional with the legacy because uh, it's our behaviors, it's our actions, it's our health, our family, our business. So yeah. w- what do you think? Absolutely. I, th- I think I think taking ownership and we've talked before, you know, you, you take ownership. It's not taking ownership only of possessions of whether your business, your cars, your physical assets, but also taking uh, ownership in your own actions. Um, you find out usually any time in your life that you had a, uh, a point that uh, you made a mistake. If you, and uh, this is also something that I've learned from working with uh, Jim Adams is Jim always brought up, you know, hey, look at yourself and take ownership in that loss. And maybe it's you the problem. It's not the, uh, the person you think is the problem or the situation. So I think it's important to recognize taking ownership and be responsible for your own actions. Absolutely. And that that drives your legacy. And I look at the, the population of the world today and the, the average person out there. We're, we're in a microwave world. We want things now. A legacy is what you build every day for the future. I can't just behave one way today and think my legacy is going to be different tomorrow. Everything I do today impacts my legacy. Everything that I share with people, how I interact with people, that brings out what I'm going to be known for at some point. And and that's the power of of thinking about what am I building as a legacy? 
It is. And, and that's why today we've got a, a great uh, individual here, Jim Adams from Ames, Iowa. He was a businessman. He's a foot, he played football in high school. He worked for Mobile Oil, went on to run his own business, family business, brought his boys in. And uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Jim Adams. Welcome to the, the podcast. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, great. Great to have you. A, as you can see, he's a World War II veteran. Uh, he's wearing his Harley uh, jacket. Jim is going to be turning 96 years old in January here in about two months. And yep. uh, he still rides motorcycles. I remember back in the day, he said he'd never ride a trike. But when he turned 89 years old, he said, well, I'll try that trike. <laughs> so today he's riding a trike. He was just riding just this week. Yep. And uh, we sure appreciate having you here and uh, look forward to having a great interview today. And I know we will. But uh, we'd like to talk about kind of how you started out, Jim, and uh, where you grew up and how you evolved right. in the person you are today. Well, I was, I was born down in uh, Lead Hill, Arkansas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, times were really, really tough then, you know. I know that, uh, that uh, we, had a, we moved to, to California from there but we had an auction, and uh, my dad bought one of them farm trailers and uh, loaded everything, clothing, and my mother wanted to put in there, and I had an auction and sold everything else. And why I remember this so well, I don't know, but the auction, I remember, brought $58. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the money we used to go to California on was the $58. Gas was nine cents a gallon. I don't remember why I remember that, but that's what it was. <laughs> and and I turned nine on the way out there. And they didn't teach women to drive cars back then. You know, no, no women drove cars. And I had two older sisters, one two years older and four years older, plus my mother. And when 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 I was eight years old, my dad taught me to drive the car. And. Uh, and 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 we went to California. We had this big trailer behind her. He would get back in that trailer and sleep, and let me drive. I turned nine on the way out there. <laughs> now women couldn't drive back then. Is that right? Oh no! Oh no! 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 They never taught women to drive anyway. You none, none of them. And uh, like I said, I had two older sisters. The mother they couldn't drive, but uh, I could remember I could. I, I had a pillow, but I couldn't sit on it because if I sat on it, my feet wouldn't reach the pedals, you know. But I put it on my back, yeah. and I could sit, and I could just barely see over the winch, over the handlebar, the steering, you know. Yeah. And if I come to a real big town, we'd stop and wake my dad up, and he'd drive through town, and then I'd drive again. Yeah. And I, uh, I remember talking to my mother. And I knew that we never had no money. I'd never eaten in a cafe or anything, you know. And I says, well, what in the world did we eat anyway? And she said, well, we, I'd just look for an area along the road and we'd stop there and I'd cook. I said, well, what the hell did you cook? And she said, biscuits and gravy. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we always had was biscuits and gravy, you know. <laughs> I had another funny thing happen. I got out in California. Tracy, California, I don't remember where the hell that's even at, but I remember that was the name of the town, and uh, rented a little house. And boy, I get out there, I went from Arkansas, 
These kids got bicycles out there. Well, hell, nobody down there in Arkansas had a bike. First of all, you didn't have money to buy one, but if you did, you couldn't ride it on them, them roads with rock, them rocky roads anyway. You know, there was no pavements or anything. So uh, I get out there, and these kids got bicycles. Boy, I couldn't believe it. I'd sit out on the front porch and just watch them kids ride by on their bicycles. And the guy across the street, I'll never forget this, uh, he come over there and he said, what, what do you sit out there on that porch and watch all them kids ride them bicycles? He said, why don't you ride your own? I said, well, I don't have one. Well, aren't you going to get one? I said, well, I don't know. I said, my dad just got a job and he said he'd try to save some money and buy me a used one, you know. About an hour, here he comes. He's got a brand new bike. He <laughs> said, you know, I, I... Anybody that enjoys watching kids ride a bike must want one really, really bad. And I just bought you a brand new one here, he said, and he gave it to me. That's awesome. Now, wouldn't that be uh, nice if you knew that guy or could go do something for his grandkids or something? But I don't have any just way of tracing him down or anything. I, I don't uh, even remember where... I just know what town I lived in. I don't even know what street it was on or anything. Now, this would have been like 1934, if I'm right. right? Uh, no, it was like uh, 45, I think. It had been, I think it's, well, okay. Um, I was thinking it's 34. You were born in 26. I was born you? in 26, yeah. yeah. So you've been right around. But by the time you got your bike, it was about in the 40s. Yeah. yeah so this was later on. But yeah. it was about 34 that you traveled from Arkansas to... California. Yeah, Tracy, yeah. California. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to go through the Rocky Mountains too, didn't you? With the, <laughs> oh, yeah. With the old, was it Model T that you have or what kind of a car did you have? Uh, 29 Chevy, I remember that. But one of the big farm okay. trailers pulled behind it, you know, with all our stuff in it. <laughs> and he let me drive. <laughs> yeah. And then, then you ended up after California, where did you get, you lived there for a while, and then you ended up lived there for a while. I don't take not a long time. I don't know, a year or so, year or two. Yeah. I went to school out there, and then we moved back to Arkansas again. Okay. How, how did you get to Iowa? What? Uh, I worked for Conoco Oil Company, and I got transferred around a lot, and that's how I got to Iowa. But when you, you went morning. to high school in Nebraska... I, I, uh, I worked for uh, Conoco before then, and they had made me manager, and we had a, a big factory there where we delivered all the service stations and everything, and they put me in charge of everything there in Des Moines, and that's how I ended up in Iowa. Yeah. And, then, and then I transferred and went to work for the other company. Was that Mobile Oil or did you end up with? Uh, Conoco. Oh, Conoco. Okay. Now, when you were with Conoco, you were in what South Dakota, also. So well, you had a Midwest sales yeah, force. Yeah, there. I ended up uh, uh, transferred me around some, but I ended up up in Minneapolis, and I was in charge of uh, all their sales in four states: uh, Iowa, and North and South Dakota, and and uh, I don't know the other. Wisconsin, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then, then that's where you got a lot of your sales. What? That's where you got a lot of your sales training. And yeah. At that point. Now, um, 
I know back in the day they taught you a, a, a chart at one time, didn't they? A what? A, a chart, a sales chart. You used to talk about about how uh, about employees. You keep the bo- top half. You take the bottom half. Out. I don't remember what that was. Yeah, well, they, was had, a, they had some deal like that, and uh, I I don't remember either, but. Uh, and I was in charge of sales up there, and they had company-owned service stations and kept records on those, something, and uh, I would get, uh, you get raised based upon all the different things they knew about those company-owned stations. You know, I don't remember what it was, but. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I remember back in the day when we used to talk, you used to talk about how you hired people, and, uh, you would always have a chart, and the people that are this part of the uh, chart, you had to let go, and you always keep building for the top of the chart, yeah. which was unique. And it was, uh, yeah. And then that's, and then you also used to fly planes. A what? You, f- you used to fly a plane. Oh yeah, I I I, I owned my I owned my plane. I paid twenty five hundred dollars for an airplane. When was that? Uh, God, I don't remember. That had been about 45, I think, or something. Well, it was down to, to Des Moines. Okay. And uh, and I remember uh, my first cross-country flight. It had one of those little things in the roof that when we wanted to level out, you'd crank it to, to level the plane out. Yeah. And I got up to the height I needed to go. And I started leveling it out, and the whole thing fell out of the road down on the floor. <laughs> so I I had to hold it really hard all the way to. I made it up to Fort Dodge, I think, or something. And I landed, and the guy helped me put it all back up in there. Then. <laughs> now you used to fly a lot. Now, you, obviously, back then you didn't have the technology, with so you just followed roads, but. Well, what I'd do if I got lost, I just went down and looked at a water tower, you know, to see what town I was in, and I always flew over the road map. You know, I I, I remember one time uh, I lived up in Sioux City for quite a while there, and I was working down Des Moines too, and I had a uh, that plane I'd paid twenty five hundred dollars for, and I'd fly it back and forth, and I'd just follow one forty one highway. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, one time there was a, a bad, bad headwind. And the higher you went, the worse the wind got, you know. So I was following really, really low. And I was just going to follow 141. And I saw a blue Pontiac down there. And pretty soon I figured out, hell, he was going faster than I was. <laughs> <laughs> Car outran your... No, he really was. He was going faster. I suppose he was driving... 65 or 70 or something, you know, but I wouldn't, mm-hmm. mine was reading 100, but hell on that headwind, it wasn't going about 50 <laughs> probably, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you you flew that plane, and how long did you have that plane? You had that plane until? Oh, a couple of years. Yeah. Not very long, and I sold it. Right. And then got also my, you... Uh, got my 2,500 back. Got your 2,500 back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you also started to go to, you, when did you start going to Arizona? Because I know you got a place in Arizona and Iowa. Is it? 
Yeah, I, well, I don't remember what was the first year I started going down there, but uh, I've been going down there now for for quite a while. Well, my I have a uh, a nephew that lives down there, and he got in the real estate business, uh -huh. and I financed him, and uh, I loaned him. Well, I when I sold the motorcycle shop, I had some money, and I loaned him a million dollars. And uh, he's got 50-some rental properties down there now. Hmm. Just got a ton of money. He's done well, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, really, really well. Yeah. Because, well, I had a little two-bedroom uh, on a cul-de-sac. There were 20, 20 of them in there, and... Uh, I owned one of them, and I, I think I give 1800 for it or something like that. Yeah. But I had one, and uh, they, there was in there where people would move quite a bit, you know, so I just kept buying them, and I ended up owning them all. <laughs> oh. And then I sold them to him, too. But uh, he's, he's done really, really well. <laughs> and that was back in the mid-'70s, wasn't it? He started uh, 70s or yeah, 80s. Yeah, no, that was probably 80s. Well, no, I'd say 70s. 70s. Yeah, yeah, it is. Back when you first started working for Conoco, it was uh, during the summer, and you were you're out doing a, a painting operation for them. Yeah. So and they, uh, I don't remember. They had me. I just go around paint pumps, and and then the sign. I'd paint the. You know, they had. We owned the sign. Even though other guy owned the station, we owned the pumps. We furnished the pumps and stuff. And I'd go paint the pumps and put new signs on them and what mm -hmm. have you. And uh, they gave me a company truck, uh, a van. So I carried all this stuff in the back of the, the van, but it was a company one, you know, so I got to use it for free. Mm -hmm. And uh, they... Uh, I don't remember why, but they uh, they sent me up there to Sturgis uh, for some reason. Now I don't remember what. And I remember uh, I saw some motorcycles go by there every once in a while. Well, back then you didn't see no motorcycles, so you know, hardly. <laughs> Guy stopped for gas, and I said, where are you going? And Sturgis. I said, what are you going to Sturgis for? And then he told me, well, they got a motorcycle deal over there. And so I was real close. I don't know what little town I was in there. But anyway, then I went over to Sturgis uh, for the weekend. That's all I had it was for the weekend. And uh, out there at the, at the state fairgrounds where they still have it today is where it was at. <laughs> and uh, I know it was, it was like a Saturday and Sunday two-day deal. But, uh, what year? Uh, so that was the first year of Sturgis, then. That was the that, that third year. That was they they had the first one in forty and a second one in forty one. They didn't have any during World War Two, and they didn't have any in forty six. The third one they had was forty seven, and that's the year I'm talking about. It's forty seven. Yeah, and I believe, from my information, you've been to every Sturgis. Yeah. Up uh, until ever, COVID. Ever, ever since then, I've never missed one. Every year I say, I'm not going, and they go, oh, what the hell, you haven't missed, you haven't missed one yet, you might as well, you might as well go. Well, actually, uh, um, you used to be a flat track racer. Oh, yeah. 
And to my understanding, they, there's a, actually a statue and a plaque up there of Jim Adams. Well, yeah, there was uh, that's partially true, but not totally true. It it was uh, they back in the old days, you you you'd, you'd start racing, and they had novice and juniors and seniors, and you had to you start racing, and you'd win races, you'd get points, and you had to make I don't remember what the points was, but let's say you had to make twenty points, and you'd get advanced to a junior, what they call a junior, and and then you'd get a yellow plate, and then you gained 30 points racing or something, and you got promoted to a senior, and you had a white plate, and they called that the White Plate Flat Trackers Association, <laughs> and it had a, a monument there uh, in the park, and you had, if you were a white plate flat tracker, then your name was on that. Okay. And mine was there, and, and of course it was at the top of the list, and I'd go out there in the summertime, because people would be looking at that thing, you know, and I'd, I'd tell them, I'd say, uh, you see, I, I'm Jim Adams. I said, that's, that's <laughs> me, and I said, the reason I'm at the top of the list there is because I was better than anybody else, and then they figure out it's alphabetical. <laughs> 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 but but they do. I, my, um, I believe they have a film that's of Sturgis, the history of Sturgis, and you're in that. Well, but that was an old one that when there was the White Plate Flat Trackers Association, which was a, a real good organization back in the old days. And uh, we'd have a big meeting out there during Sturgis every year. And... Uh, so I don't I don't remember now, but uh, anyway, I belong to that. Okay, okay. So you did. Uh, so you plan on going back next year again? <laughs> well, every year I say I'm not going, but I always go. <laughs> yeah. And you still ride on a you still ride on nice days as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I usually don't ride my bike out there anymore. Right. If I do only ride out to Chamberlain, I think it's the name of the town. Yep. Yep. I'll just ride to Chamberlain and stay all night there. And that's yeah. where you cross the river. Well, how'd you get us how'd you get into the motorcycle business? I don't remember now actually. Well I I do in a way. I I always liked motorcycles. And uh I like to ride. Uh me and another kid when I was in, in high school, I remember we paid 15 bucks for a Harley, 750 a piece we paid for it. <laughs> and I rode that from North Platte to Denver, Colorado and back, I remember. Can't believe that, but I did. But uh, that's kind of how I, I liked motorcycles. Well, then I had two boys, and the boys both liked motorcycles. And I worked for Conoco, and I uh, worked for them for years. But uh, they had transferred me up to Minneapolis, and I didn't really like it up there. Too cold, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the two boys wanted to do something, uh, you know. And I said, well, hell, let's just go in the motorcycle business. 
Yeah, right. I said, well, I don't want to go in Minnesota. It's too cold up here. And my two boys, I'd give both of them jobs for Conoco because I was in charge of sales for Conoco. And they were both working for Conoco in Des Moines. So uh, I said, well, uh, see if you find a motorcycle dealer that wants to sell out. And I went. So they called me up and said, well, the guy at Ames said he might sell out. So I come down and bought him out, and then I moved down here. And then the boys quit their jobs and come. We all three run the motorcycle service. And what year would that have been? Uh, what would that have been? Probably around 78, do you think? 73. 73? 73 is when oh, it was. 73. Yeah, 73. Okay. I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. 73. That was a great journey, wasn't it? It was good. <laughs> when you got in, you, you started your business in 1973. Uh, it was, what was it called? Uh, AIM Cycle? AIM Cycle. AIM Cycle. And you, you had a unique way of hiring people and paying people. And tell us a little bit about that, because I know you had a, a relationship with your mechanic, who was an, yeah, one well, of the best mechanics well, in the Midwest. Well, I, I, I always believed on... Uh, Instead of an hourly wage, have a commission, you know, like the, uh, I don't remember what our, our, our flat rate was there for the shop, but like say, let's say it's $3 an hour, then they get $2 an hour and I got a dollar an hour, you know? Right. And uh, then the same way with the salespeople, they got a commission, you know, depending on the profit we made on the bike. And, and I don't remember the parts people. I know we had some kind of a system for them to make some extra money. I think depending on how many parts they'd sold the year before in that month, hmm. and then how much they sold the same month the current year, and they'd get a commission based on how much we increased our, our uh, volume, you know. So that gives them an opportunity to try to sell as much as they could. Mm -hmm. Not only that, also, Jim, didn't you also have your mechanic on commission? Yeah. And, and he made a ton of money, didn't he? What? I mean, he, your uh, mechanic back then made a lot of money and, and did a good job and got well, a lot of product out, didn't well, he? Well, it did work hard, you know, and put in a lot of hours because that's the way they made money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Same with the salesman. It, They'd try hard to sell stuff because they had to live on the commission. <laughs> what What do you think is different in the business world today from the the seventies and what you just talked about in I commissions? I don't think and, too much difference. You don't. No. So, what is the the big challenge that the business world has today? Getting people more engaged, because you know, listening to you, commissions and getting people excited about serving the customer. I I, I don't know that that's. I don't know. I don't. I. I don't think it's really changed. Mm -hmm. I think if they had, the companies would do it, you know, it'd be just as good as it was back then. You know, Paul, I want to jump in because I think sure. that that's a great statement right there. Business hasn't changed in fifty years, no. um, according to Jim, our, our right. wonderful guest right. today. But the <clears throat> world seems to think it has. You know, it's different generations need different things. But in reality, it's the more we engage with people, the more we ask questions, the more we get to know people, 
you you think about your your pay structure was commission based. You get paid for working hard. Yeah, you bet. Today people get paid just for showing up. <laughs> and and it it doesn't work as well. So I, I I'm really glad that you you shared that you don't see that things are different. It's that the companies need to make sure that they're doing the right things for their employees. Is that, is that what I heard? You bet. That's a great way of putting that. I think it, what we're looking at is it is about the people. And, and uh, you know, the saying is you, people that complain about bad employees, maybe you're a bad business person. Maybe you ought to re, regroup and figure out a better way to pay your employees, what incentives incentivize them to be the best that they can as an employee. And I thought that was a great you did a great job at that, Jim. I remember back in the day, um, we would drive bikes and we would uh, come, uh, we'd always ride over to your shop. Everybody liked hanging out at AIM Cycle. And his sons would be there talking to people. Jim would come out and talk to people, but it was a social event too, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I think, because Jim was all about people and and uh, and I was, I think that's a big part of your success is understanding how well, to Well, one do, thing, to too, that I never, I've, I've never understood, but the guys dislike their name, I guess, but so many businesses, their business is their name, you know. Well, that don't mean nothing. <laughs> it's like me. I had AIM Cycles. Well, that said where it was at and what it was. You that's know? right. And that's a hell of a lot better than Jim Adams, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but so many guys want their name on there you know it's about ego yeah they make it about them instead of about their people you bet you bet yeah but you know there was a it's been probably about four years ago um in compliments to uh jim there's a annual bike ride named the jim adams aim cycle bike ride it's been started uh, I've been part of with Gary Friel and, and uh, some, a group of other people, Ed Lehart, Jim Sinclair, Bill McGee, uh, several people involved, Jim Peterson. But um, it's been an honor. We've been on this trip. I think we're going on our, I think it's fourth or fifth year now. And uh, I believe it's fourth year. And we're, we do it every, the last weekend in June of every year. And uh, Jim's wrote in it every year. And uh, we got another year coming up, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You know, so thinking of, of your business for years, what advice would you give to a business leader today, a business owner today with their people? I don't know what advice I'd give. I really don't. <laughs> Anything that you'd suggest that they, they do different or they, they think about that was successful for you that you, you think they should get engaged with? Well, I, I, any business is, it depends upon the employees you hire and train, you know, and uh, that's, the, that's the most important part of the business is your employees, and uh, if, if, if you don't have the ability to, to hire the right ones and train them, you're not going to be very successful either. So you have to hire the right people and you have to train them right. I, that's a great point. There's so many, so many places of business where they hire people just to get somebody on board and they don't make the time to train them. No. And then they get frustrated. Well, if I train them, they're going to leave. Well, <laughs> you want to, you don't want to train them. You want them to stay. So which, which is better to train them. And if they leave, I'd rather have them trained so they can do you great bet. for our customers. You bet. So I love that. Yeah. 
And Jim, you got, uh, maybe you can expound a little bit on when you started out with a little shop on Lincoln Way and what your growth strategy was. You had concerns maybe because you were a Honda and Harley dealer? That was a Honda only. Yeah. And uh, uh, then I, I kept just buying the other dealers out till I was one of three dealers in the United States that all had all four Japanese brands plus Harley plus Triumph. I had them all. <laughs> and you just bought bought them out over, over yeah i just bought the dealers out yeah and you're on lincoln way before you went to 13th street yeah it's that sign shop there now on on uh, lincoln way yeah you know that where that sign yeah. shop is that was that was the well i only had half that building uh the guy lived behind it there owned it it lives in that house right behind it okay i can't remember his name now but now, another thing that you did that was, I find, that's big, which is still true today, when you were expanding your motorcycle business, all of a sudden you see another opportunity, and that was in the trucking business. Yeah. So you can tell you how you got into the trucking business and how that idea evolved? Well, I, um, I got my motorcycle out of Chicago, and uh, so I, in order to save money, I bought a flatbed truck. Well, no, I bought a pickup and a flatbed trailer. And I'd go in there and pick my bikes up rather than pay the freight company to haul them. And uh, what I would do, I can't believe this, but it's the truth, uh, I'd get off work and I'd drive in there and I'd get there midnight and who, however you were parked there is the ones that got loaded first in the morning. So, but like I'd go there and park at midnight and just sleep in the pickup, you know, with the door open. <laughs> is that right? Out in the bad part of town. <laughs> Can't believe it. But you were having you were having motorcycles delivered to you. Then you started delivering to other. Yeah, motorcycles I, I ended around. up delivering motorcycles to everybody in Iowa. Plus uh, some clear to Lincoln, Nebraska, and northern Missouri, and uh, uh, western uh, uh, Illinois. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I delivered them all. And it, 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 it worked good. They got a lot better service from me than they got from the trucking company, you know, because the trucking company would bring it to Des Moines, and it would sit there till they had to make a delivery to northern... <laughs> You know, and I'd have all the dealers so I could make the round, you know, delivering them. <laughs> Worked real good. You know, another of, another business, not to cut you off, but another business you got into, you owned a building, I know, close to your uh, to your motorcycle shop. You got into the bingo business, didn't you, for a little while? Yeah. How was that? That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> the was bingo cash. business? Yeah. yeah. You used to do bingo in a bingo hall. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Did you really, tell us a little of that story? Because there's some great stories. Uh, I remember that. Uh, how was that? I had a gal. Uh, I don't even remember her name, but she run the bingo parlor for me, mm -hmm. and we were just open on on 
Wednesday night and Friday night or something like that, just two nights a week. But she had run that, and uh, she had charge of all the money, you know, her and her daughter helped her there. And uh, they'd have to, everybody'd have to pay them and they'd have to give me the money. But uh, I don't remember, somehow she'd hold out money and give me money and neither one of us declared it. <laughs> neither one of us, she didn't and I didn't either. <laughs> I'm sure that's past the statute of limitations. Yeah, we'll make sure the authorities don't hear this podcast today. So. Yeah, yeah. you had that for like four or five years. Didn't yeah. You? yeah, yeah, it worked real good. Yeah, cash is king, isn't it? <laughs> that, no, that, that's, uh, that's great. Now, something that you did, you served our country, World War II. Tell us a little bit about when you went, you were drafted or you volunteered? And, uh, I volunteered. Uh uh, I was in the Merchant Marine. Well, I uh, was, was doing that. I mean, I was working on a ship when the war started. And, uh, you know, you got drafted. Uh, but if uh, uh, I stayed on the ship, and, when, and, and I was delivering food, I was on a ship that was delivering meat to the troops down on the islands. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, if we come to the United States, you, you, if, you, if you just signed off the ship, you'd get drafted, you know. So uh, the ship then started going to Auckland, New Zealand to pick up the meat <laughs> and take it out in the troops. And we wouldn't come back to the States. So we could just stay on the we could stay on the ship, you know. And uh, so that's what I was doing during the war. And uh, I, one of the funniest things that happened to me down there, I was down at Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, we were waiting to pick up meat, and it'd take eight or 10 days to get the ship loaded with the meat we were taking out to the troops. And Navy guys helped us there and that there was stationed there would work to help us. But the war was over, been over about 10 days and they shipped them guys all home. Well, there was gals that always waited for them there in the tram station to get <laughs> off because they had money to, you know, take them to dinner and take them to a movie where the local guys didn't have enough money to do that. So, but hell, then here these guys got all shipped out so the gals would still hang out there. And me and my buddy, we went in there and off the ship and we said, does any girl in here got a car? Nope, there wasn't a one in there had a car. And one says, well, my dad's got a car. He said, she says, I don't know. If, I know he wouldn't let us take a trip in it, but he might let you drive it around the block or something, you know? And I said, well, that'd be good. She said, well, let me go call him. Well. She had to walk like two blocks to a phone booth, you know, to <laughs> call home. And she said, "Yeah, uh, yeah." He, he said, "You could, you, yeah, uh, you could do that." So we take a tram and go out to the house, and and we walked up there, and he come out, and he had the keys. This twenty-nine Chevy Coupe, I remember that. Yeah. And he said, "No, 
here's the key to this car. You can't take no trip in it or anything, but you can make a little drive around and bring it back. So I said, okay, that's fine. Well, so go out there and open the door, and son of a bitch, you got to sit on the right side of it, you know. <laughs> you know the wrong what? side. Yeah, you got to sit on the right side of it, and the shift's over here on the floor, and you got to use your left hand instead of the right. And I back out, and not only that, you got to drive on the right side of the road. <laughs> I went right around the block and come back and put it right back in there. That's the only driving I did while I was down there. Where was this? In Auckland, New Zealand? Auckland, New Zealand, yeah. Oh. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. True story. Well, you know, I remember uh, Gary's for real good friend of yours is here watching today, and and uh, I know you guys had a trip to to Tijuana one time on a motorcycle. You remember that trip? Yeah, we got to toy run with Easy Riders. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you got you had someone that uh, didn't you about lose your ring? Yeah, no, I got robbed. Yeah, tell tell us that story. You you were riding with a group of guys. You rode into. Uh, Tijuana and tell us that story. That's quite a story. Well, I I uh, I don't remember now. I was out on the sidewalk talking to some guys or something, and I had uh, two rings like this, and they saw them rings, and uh, they grabbed me. One guy was holding me, and uh, God, they stole my cap and my jacket, <laughs> and. Uh, they was getting get those rings off. Well, I was scared that one was like having trouble getting off. Oh my God, they cut my finger <laughs> off. <you know? laughs> but they got the rings off. And uh, funny part of it was we were staying in a uh, like a motel, and they had a room there. And they run up. I seen them go into their room, so I called the cops. And I said, those guys stole my rings, and they're right in that room. And I want you to go in there and get them. And they said, oh, no, we come do that tomorrow. <laughs> so you know who got my rings. <laughs> we'll yeah. do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. What, what year did you get out of? What year did you finish up with World War II? 1945? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was uh, uh, board ship there and... Uh, I I don't know we'd I'd been gone for I don't know four or five months or something on a ship hauling that meat to the troops and uh, for some reason they sent us down through the canal and into New York usually we were flying off the west coast instead of going over there on but anyway we went into New York and uh, we were going to go from there uh, to France uh, and back. And uh, I don't know, it was a short trip. And uh, so I called my wife and said, I can sign on there now, and, and it's a pretty good paying thing, and it'd be a nice trip for me, and it would only be gone 60 days. So is it okay with you if I do that? And she said, why don't you just sign on for the rest of your life? <laughs> I said, I'll be right home. <laughs> Guess it wasn't okay. <laughs> no, I went right home now. <laughs> be right home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bought a car I remember that 
<laughs> remember what it was, but uh, cheap car, and drove it home from New York. You've had all kinds of experiences. You've lived in many places. You've been a part of a lot of things. What What's something that you haven't done that you wish you would have? Well, nothing that I'm willing to admit to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a little story. We, uh, Gary Friel and I and, and Jim, uh, Jim had just turned 90. So Jim has a place in, in Arizona. He invites us to to come down. He had six motorcycles, I believe, down there, and he wanted to bring a couple back. So Gary and I go down to Arizona, and Jim and I, we go riding. And uh, we're up north on 17th. Anybody that knows uh, Arizona, you got 17, comes down to 303 and goes into Phoenix. We're probably about, I don't know, 40 minutes away from where he lives, 45 minutes away. And we're at a restaurant, we're on motorcycles, and uh, we're sitting there and it starts to rain. Jim looks at me and Gary and says, hey, it's time to go. Gary and I kind of look at each other, well, we're just waiting here a second. Maybe we'll just uh, wait this rain out. No, Jim is ready to go. Jim, he gets up, takes off out the door. Gary gets off, takes off out of the door. I get out on my bike. My bike doesn't start. Now, <laughs> it's starting to rain. And if anybody, and it's 5 o'clock, Friday afternoon, and anybody's been in Phoenix at, on the 17 and 3.03 at 5 o'clock, it's busy, and they go fast. So I jump on. I'm behind. I, I, it was raining so bad, I went under, uh, underneath a bridge for a little bit, wiped my glasses off, get back on the 17, and I happen to remember I have to get on the 303 to get to his place. So in a, so I see the 303. I get over in traffic, and it's car bumper to bumper going as fast as you can go. And at the stop sign, there's Gary and, and Jim Adams. Now, Jim Adams is 90 years old. He looks at me, and he goes, keep the fuck up and don't go under 75 miles an hour. <laughs> and I look, okay, boom, they're gone. <laughs> so to give you and an you idea. You weren't offended, were you? I, no, I wasn't. <laughs> it, it rained. It rained all the way there. And we get into his driveway. Parked the bikes, and the rain stopped. Sun came out. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> but that gives you an idea of Jim Adams, the great writer that he, he is and, and still is. He's, he rides. He rides uh, when there's a nice day. He's on his trike. He's out riding today, and, and it's great to, to see a guy like that. He's 96 years old in two months. He's, uh, you know, I think we all got our health issues, but he gets up every day, and he always has a positive attitude, and... And, drink uh, a lot of beer, that helps. Well, <laughs> I love it. You got to drink. What's your favorite kind of beer? Yeah. What kinds? Yes, all of the above, right? Cold. Yeah. <laughs> Cold beer, yeah. But uh, no, Jim's been a, a great inspiration to a lot of business people and young people. And uh, it's always a treat to, to get together with uh, Jim and talk about old times because he was a great writer, a great businessman. And, you know, I think today, you know, talk about going through your ceiling. Uh, here's a perfect example of a human being that uh, has done some great things in the business world and still to this day is healthy and, uh, and contributes. Now, Paul, what are some of the learnings that you've had from listening to Jim today that we want our listeners to 
hear and remember from our conversation? I, I think my, my biggest take from today is number one is, is uh, Jim's about people and, uh, you know, training people. Uh, I've got some notes here, you know, incentivize people and, and hire the right people. And uh, th there's no reason to make an excuse. You hire the right people, you train them, and uh, it works. Yeah. It works. Uh, and it, it works today as it did when he was doing business in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah, I, I loved how he said that the business hasn't really changed. Right. And the thing that might have changed is that organizations aren't treating their people like they used to. Oh. And they need to help them stay engaged and the businesses need to own that and that's a ceiling that yeah. many businesses have today is they're not doing what they need to do for their employees so i think that's a that's a powerful takeaway from today as well it is it is you know one one question that uh, we're asking every one of our guests at the end of our shows it's what do you want to be known for you know <laughs> I, and I, i'd love for you to say you know whether it's in a story or or a few words what do you want people to remember about Jim Adams? I don't really, I don't honestly know. I really don't. I, uh, I would, I would uh, like to remember as be remembered as a good motorcycle rider. I was, uh, uh, I won the uh, what is it here in Iowa? I won that in '61 and '60 uh, drag races. I won that in 61 and 62, and I haven't had that many for years and years now, and so it was no big deal. But then I was an expert motorcycle racer, and you go through three different steps to get to that. So I was pretty good at that. I was actually, a, I run 14 years at Daytona. I was a better road racer than I was a dirt racer. <laughs> Uh, but the problem with that was they don't have a many lot of road races, you know. <laughs> uh, you probably have rode every state in the United States, haven't you? You rode a motorcycle in every state in the United States or close to it? I don't, no, not all of them. Uh, I rode most of them, yeah, but not all of them. Yeah. Judy, uh, that gal that I lived with, she rode every one of them in the state. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I first started riding there, we were, we rode down the beach. In right. Daytona. Yeah, Daytona. And then on the back stretch, you rode down the blacktop. And oh. then in the corners, it was blacktop, too. Right. But then you'd... No, one of them wasn't. One of them was still sand. But then you'd come down and you'd ride right along the water. And I remember one time, this one kid's... Uh, uh, what was it? The dad got out too far in the water <laughs> and it killed the engine and his son was riding too and his son goes by and holds up his finger and you're like one more lap <laughs> and he come around and he stopped and put his foot behind him and pushed him and got him going <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he went right by him it was a one more lap then I'll push you out huh? <laughs> <laughs> a true story <laughs> We still ride on Wednesday night in the summertime, uh, but we we rode more up there for years. You know, we'd have weekend rides and yeah. Wednesday night rides, and then weekend rides too. Uh, you did a lot of that in Ames, Iowa, but you also did it in uh, down in Phoenix, Arizona too. You used to have yeah. rides. Well, yeah, 
Uh, they down there we ride every day, but Sunday. Every day but Sunday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Currently yeah. with the Legion Riders. No, that's just a group. Any any group, not not a not a single group. Just whoever shows up, you know. Right. And like I said, we never. What's really nice too, we never have a schedule. We just we meet at McDonald's and stand around and talk. And somebody wants to go to some cafe, someplace. That's where we go. And like I said, we go at uh, at uh, seven o'clock in the summer, uh, somewhere for breakfast, and we go you know in the wintertime at nine o'clock, and we go somewhere for lunch, and we stand around and talk of where we're going to go. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that works out good too. Yeah. yeah. Currently a member of the Ames Legion Riders. What? You're currently a yeah. member of the Ames American Legion Riders. Riders yeah. Yeah. Now we are riding over at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Uh, every Sunday afternoon. Now we won't this winter, but right. uh, we ride have some rides, but we do have those Sunday rides every Sunday mm -hmm. four o'clock. And don't know where we're going. We just stand around and talk and <laughs> decide where we're gonna go somewhere and eat. You know. <laughs> yeah. Do everything around food, right? Yeah. <laughs> So you started, what two clubs did you start? Well, I didn't start Women on Wheels, but I've been a, a member of Women on Wheels. I just, uh, the gal in charge of that, they send you a statement, and uh, I paid my dues every year, and so this year was my 30th year of Women on Wheels, and you send that to to this gal in Omaha, and uh, she called me, and she said, uh, I just want to congratulate you for being a member for 30 years. She said. <laughs> well, it's a women's club. How did you get in a women's club? Well, it's a women's club, but there's guys belong to it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only a select few, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're 96. Yep. Amazing, amazing story. Uh -huh. Okay. I think... And uh, I think you, uh, your girlfriend's 54, so you guys are close in age. <laughs> now, it's, it's been a treat to have you here. Really appreciate you coming. Okay, down. you bet. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What's Your Ceiling? We hope this episode has helped you transform the way you think, understand your awareness, has given you new ideas, and has provided you a new perspective on how to push through your ceiling. Please take in a second to give us a thumbs up. Each review helps us impact more people just like you making a difference in this world. See you next week on What's Your Ceiling?